I'm Wade McDonald, photography instructor. I'm Mary Gross, English instructor. This is our podcast. Uh, our <laughs> podcast. I'll see what you did there. <laughs> Rethink. Relearn. Repeat. Our guest today is Bev Knudsen. She's a speech teacher at the college, and um, she's going to talk to us a little bit about some of her her philosophies and the way things have changed post-COVID, during COVID, and, and good stuff like that. Bev, can you give us a little background information about yourself? Sure. Uh, I teach communication studies, uh, mostly on all online now, which we'll talk about in a little bit here. Um, I have also taught for St. Cloud State. I have also taught for St. Cloud Tech. Um, used to teach history, but as much as I love that, I love communication studies more. I hope Sam Nelson does not listen to this podcast. <laughs> and it's a second career for me, so I didn't start teaching until 2008. Really? Yeah. I didn't realize it was that late. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I spent 32 years in the radio biz and went, you know, I, I think I, I'm ready for something else. Well, it's interesting. It kind of it goes a little bit full circle when you start in communications and then you go to history and then you come back and mm-hmm. now you're teaching communications. My bachelor's degree is actually in both because I couldn't make up my mind. So oh, I perfect. Yeah. Feels. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. So you came, but you've, have you taught, you taught history at St. Cloud though, didn't you? Uh, both. 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 I taught for both departments up there and then um, actually taught concurrent in the Hutch High School for a couple of semesters. Literally my dream job. When I when I finally got an opportunity to interview, that's exactly what I said. Like I my first degree was as a non-traditional student here on the Wilmer campus. Um, got my AA and I was just addicted to learning. Um, didn't do so well the first go around when I was 17, which I sometimes will share with students to say, you know, it's okay to mess up. Just don't do what I did. Um, and then I just became a ferocious learner and curious and I just kept going and going and going and um, <laughs> I think taking classes was became like a hobby even when I didn't really need to so yeah I love learning and I, I, I just feel really blessed feel really lucky I've had the life experience and the background and now I have the education to support that and have the credibility to do what I want to do isn't it fun to think about it that way? I just, I'm, I'm going to start my doctorate in the fall and this whole ungrading stuff, right? Wow. And it's like thinking about it and I keep thinking, now I'll have the credibility. Like I've done so much research. Mm-hmm. I've done mm-hmm. a lot of projects with it. But when I'm done with the doctorate, people can't say, you don't know what you're talking about. And I can be like, yes, <laughs> I have a doctorate. <laughs> I have a piece of paper that says I do indeed know what I'm talking about. <laughs> don't judge me. <laughs> I think the first, what was the first question we asked you? You asked me to talk about things I learned when we shifted to online. Oh, yes. And I think with anything when you're new to it. Uh, Did you teach online before COVID actually hit or were you? Partially. Okay, so you did have some experience. Yes. Um, Were they hybrid classes or were they actually in class? online classes, but it just wasn't your full load? Both. I just kind of blend. I had fully face-to-face. I had blended. I had online. So it, okay. was, it was quite a mix. Okay. Yeah. Um, I became very interested in quality matters, which taught me a lot about accessibility and course design and things like that. I took just about every course that I, I could take through them. Um, but, you know, when you're a new teacher, you want to do everything so perfectly. And so you tend to teach like you 
we're taught. Um, here's the textbook. I'm going to talk at you and lecture at you. I'm going to give you exams and you have to write all these papers. And, you know, it was very, a lot how I learned. Um, and so with that switch, I was so grateful to be able to teach online um, before I call it the great calamity. Yes. Uh, <laughs> the great calamity. Um, one, of the, one of the things I didn't care for was having to switch my face-to-face -face class to Zoom synchronous. I thought that was really painful. For some people, they didn't mind that. But for me, I just thought I, I have to do one or the other, fully online or, or fully face-to-face -face or where I have some contact with the students in a classroom sort of thing. Um, right now, I am completely online, and there are a lot of reasons for that. I never ever thought I would be fully online teacher. But there's a lot of advantages to it, um, not just for me professionally, but for the students as well and the type of students that we have. So are you synchronous or asynchronous now? Asynchronous, completely asynchronous. So you don't have any specific meeting times with the students unless they need help and they want to contact yeah, you? Yeah, other than my virtual office hours, and I moved, I kept all of those on Zoom too, because, you know, when you're in your office, that doesn't, like your physical space, that doesn't always work for them. And so I find I have actually students show up more if I have them on Zoom. So I'm keeping them that way. No, if they want to meet face to face, that's fine too. I'll do that. But we don't know, like, I'm, I, this semester, I'm completely online. And I have office hours in Zoom, and then I add, you know, I can meet you on whichever campus is mm -hmm. best for you. But because we'll have students in the cities, mm -hmm. you know, you can't just be sitting in Wilmer waiting for them to show up. Yeah. I think that's one of the fun things about online is that you just get this huge variety of students from all over the place. You know, I had a guy who was in Africa and how are you getting all your stuff in on time and time zone changes? And they, it's just amazing. And then, you know, that sense of community. So it's not just Hutch students who may know each other or Wilmer students who know each other. They're making new connections and learning different things. Well, so and I would argue that really like. the diversity is, it's even, it's not just geographical, right? Because when we went online with our program, we went, we saw a shift kind of away from um, the traditional student, we were able to go and more students that were uh, had families that were working part time or full time were able to take those classes because they're asynchronous. And because there's no specific meeting times, they could set aside the time but do it in the evening or do it in the morning that worked with their schedule. So yes, like they're spread out all over the country or all over, you know, the world, but also they're diverse in other ways. Yes, absolutely. No, it's exciting. And I love learning about, you know, new people and and watching them kind of engage with each other is, and, and how they find common ground. It's like, oh, me too, me too, you know, and then you kind of grow from there. Well, that, so tell me more about that. I think one of the hardest things that I struggle with in my classes is getting that engagement, especially student to student engagement. Mm -hmm. Tricks, tips, um, are you doing discussion boards? What What's worked for you? Well, and I know that not everybody loves discussions, but I try, and I, I've really changed. I used to give points like how many did you read and how many did you post? And it just got too complicated. So my teaching philosophy, if I had to boil it down is kiss, kick, keep it simple. Yeah. <laughs> because we've Wait, all you been, you forgot the stupid at the end. Cause I that's know. actually me on this side of it is the keep it like people. I have I, to we'll just go myself. with silly. Keep it simple. <laughs> silly. silly. <laughs> Um, I love it. But we've all been in classes where the instructor might have been completely disorganized, completely detached, combination thereof. And 
when I, there was a few years ago, I got a little teaching award and I'm having to speak in front of all my former professors and I'm telling them, you taught me this, you taught me that, you taught me this. Um, but I, I was studying them just as much as I was studying the material, you know, and how did I feel? I had one graduate class actually where the, I don't think their professor was necessarily in very good standing with the university and she was on her way out and she just really didn't, you could tell she didn't really care. Nice person, very nice person. Um, one example, and I'm really trying not to go down too big of a rabbit hole. On a Monday, she would open up everything and say, here's what you're doing this week. There was no real syllabus. There was no real schedule. And for someone who's type A like I am, I was a nervous wreck. So one Monday, I opened up the announcement, and she said, you have three 10-page papers due by next Sunday. And so I'm like, okay, that's all right. You know, I have a full-time job and activities, and I have children, and I have a life, but I guess I'm writing three 10-page papers in six wow, days. Wow, that's... Someone checked with her, and she meant to put three three-page papers. <laughs> of course, I was already 25 pages in oh at this point. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so I thought I'm... I want to be clear. I want to be concise. I want everything to be streamlined. I don't want the content and the course design to completely overwhelm the students so that they're frustrated because I've been that student. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I have a little model that I've been kind of going by, and that is um, the least amount of surprises. No surprises for the students. Mm -hmm. Like they know literally today, first day of the semester, they know what projects we're working on. They know dates that are fairly accurate. They know what equipment they need. They know what we're shipping them, right? I could go yeah, on and on. But yeah. so it's not that huge surprise that, oh, the finals were 300 points and the whole rest of the class is only worth 20 points. And now I know that if I get sick or if something comes up on that last week of school, there's yeah. no possible way that I can make this work. Like, no surprises. Yeah. I don't have anything to hide from exactly. my students, and I want to give them as much information as possible so that they feel secure and comforted taking this class, knowing what we're doing on a weekly basis. Absolutely. You know, though, I don't think that that's necessarily just for online. The more online I've taught, the more I put that practice into my face-to-face -face class as well. Like, my lecture should be supportive of the material, mm -hmm. but also be that... Let me clarify. It, absolutely. Let me break this down. That's, that's what I do too. You know. Because I assume that they're reading the text. We know they don't always. We, you know, we assume, hope, we have aspirational, right, that, that they will do it. Um, and I don't want to waste their time or mine just lecturing on the same stuff they're reading about. But unpacking some of those more complex ideas, uh, that's... I tell them the best part of my job is when you've done that legwork of reading the material mm -hmm. so that I can tell you and share with you those insights and experiences that it took me thousands of dollars of grad school, <laughs> you know, to have. So, yeah. Yeah. And how rich those discussions can be when they come in with just even foundational information that you want them to have. Yeah. Is there anything you miss from the face to face environment? Oh, absolutely. Because as you know, we have students that we end up having these amazing relationships with. And when a student reaches back and emails me or calls me or I love that. I absolutely love that. And yeah, I kind of miss that. You And I think you tend to have that more in a classroom. Um, I have one young lady, 
one young lady who's a she was a great student, wonderful human being. She took a ton of my classes, so I felt like I got to know her a little bit better. And uh, she sent an after the semester, here's what I'm doing now. And I started my own business. And this is how I'm kind of using some of those skills. That's just that's killer stuff right there. It really is. But yeah, there's a you know, there's a distance when you when you can't really get to know them and it's electronically mediated so you you can't gauge the nonverbals and yeah, yeah. Yeah. So thinking about that, right? The great calamity happened mm-hmm. and forced you to sort of I mean it forced us all to rethink our teaching. Right. So one of your pieces was keep it simple. Yes. Right? Yes. How else did you change? Um, honestly, the great calamity and this switch made me more productive because um, not being pulled 17 different directions and not having a lot of interruptions and things, I was able to really focus. I think I did, you know, better work. I could. It's like when you're building a class in D2L, you got to stay in it. You you can't get up every 30 minutes and go teach or go Whatever. to a meeting or yeah do you have else. to you have to kind of immerse yourself in it i i do anyway um but it really made me rethink all of my classes and how i'm doing them and there's no excuse for not fixing something that's clearly clearly broken like over the break i made a major change in my argument and reasoning class because it took me in my humble opinion i think it takes 2 or 3 years for you to get a class Right at that sweet spot where oh, you might do a few, sure. few tweaks, oh, at least. right? But this was a pretty major change, and this is a class I only took over like three years ago. Um, so thankfully, <laughs> I got it done before the first <laughs> day of school. Uh, but I think that's really important just to, you know, and I do a course survey at the end, and I ask students, why did you take this class? And how are you going to use this personally and professionally? And that's great information, or if they said, I and I also asked them what helped in your learning, not what you did or didn't like. No one likes taking tests, for heaven's sakes. But what aided in your learning and what did not. And I try to provide as many resources as possible because we have all these different learners. So an example would be I provide optional note-taking forms that match my PowerPoint lectures. Oh, so, so they can just print them out. And if they're that type of learner, but, you know, when you put your hand to something, sometimes you're more likely to learn it. And, I, and I'm a visual learner, so I love infographics. Uh, some people are oral learners. They do not, you know, want to read. They just want to, some of them won't even watch the lectures. They'll just listen. So that's, that was a, an opportunity for me to bring in a bunch more resources that I wouldn't otherwise maybe have the time for because it's really time consuming to to do that all those little add-ons I have to say Bev I think it's so important what you said earlier is it takes you know three to four go rounds before Mm -hmm. you get that class at the sweet spot and and this comes back to I always think about you know how many times are we asking our students to do something risky Mm -hmm. and we as teachers me personally I can say I want it to be perfect the first time and it's not (laughs) You know what I mean? And I think that we have to sit in that a little bit Mm -hmm. and we have to go, okay, this is going to be a hot mess. Mm -hmm. And so I've gotten to a place now where when I'm teaching something, I'm like, so I haven't done this part yet before. So we're going to mess this up Mm -hmm. and it's going to be okay. We're going to get through it. We're going to get on the other side of it. We're both, all of us, both you and I, students and I, we're going to learn something from this. And it gives them some agency. Right. You know, if I would try an activity in class and it didn't work, 
I'll do a debrief informally and just say, what did you think about that? Did you get anything out of it? Did you like it? And they're great about giving constructive feedback if you ask. So as a teacher, I never assume I do everything perfectly and I know more than you do. You know, it's getting back to that sage on the stage versus facilitating kind of thing. Um, I'm constantly learning about how to do things differently. Every colleague that I talk to who's willing to share, you know, their foibles and successes, all the conferences that I go to, the webinars, you know, reading scholarly articles, all of that is helps you kind of connect the dots so that you can just be better. Well, doesn't it? So it takes you three or four goes to get your class the way you like it. And then you you do it for a semester or two semesters. And then guess what? It kind of goes back to our philosophy of the name of the podcast, right? You start to rethink mm-hmm. what you're doing. How could it be different? You start to relearn new things, new skills, new content. And then you kind of start it over. You, you settle in there for a little bit, but you don't just put it on autopilot, autopilot forever. Right. Right. I know that feeling when I come across something I think is cool. I'm like, oh, man, it's going to be a lot of work, I, but I got to do I, I it. Gotta, I, <laughs> I'm going to pull my hair out, but it's going to be good in the end. <laughs> I have to warn my family, just don't take anything I say seriously this particular week that I'm working because it's, you know, talking to yourself and it's, ah, where did I put that? Was gonna, um, so. Can I tell you guys a cool, cool little thing that I'm working on for my class? We talk about a big idea, something new that comes in and how you actually want to incorporate it in. I'm going to steal the podcast for just a couple of minutes. So... Uh, there is a big movement right now for AI, mm-hmm. whether it is in writing or or it's in <laughs> or it's in image I was, creation. I was just reading about that yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm I'm on this um, Discord channel with um, Midjourney is the name of this bot, the made name of this company that's actually um, creating artwork. And what you do is you prompt it, you tell it, you type it in. Um, in you know regular written kind of language what you're looking for i'm looking for black headphones on a black background now i teach product photography classes so i wanted to test it and see like could it actually generate something that is an amazing product photo and with a couple little tweaks i was able to generate my black headphones on a black background with this certain type of lighting in a certain position wow. and they were fabulous and the second that i did it and i realized that this was possible I said, I got to tell my students about this, right? I got to be ahead of them. This is amazing. So what I'm going to end up doing is I'm going to generate all of my own assignments using AI, and I'm going to incorporate those images anonymously back into my feedback videos, and I'm going to give feedback as if that was a student. (gasps) That's so brilliant. A student's piece of work. And then I'm going to, at the end, I'm going to have the students vote on which one they think was AI, not which one was good or which one was bad. And then... That will unlock another video that will show the process and the actual, the entire, you know, start to finish on what prompting did I use mm-hmm. and how long did it take and how you did variations of it and enlarge them or what it upscaled them. And I'll show them the whole process in just another five minute video to show them what tools are available to them and how I use them and really what is available. So mm-hmm. you, you talk about like, this is going to be a load of work. Well, that's what I just stepped into. I yeah. know exactly what you're saying. Right. You talking, Bev, about teaching online has allowed you to be focused. I struggle with um, switching um, things, right? Moving from one thing to another. I'm one of those sorts of people where if I'm in in something, I got to stay there 
And if I get pulled away to do something else, I get really frustrated really easily. And when I'm on campus, I am not only struggling to stay focused, I am a problem <laughs> for other people. <laughs> You can walk into the liberal arts area in Hutchinson and ask any of them how problematic I am. So, Mary, are you let's let are you teaching um, online, hybrid, in person? What are you doing this semester? So this semester, I have a co-rec, and the and the developmental part of that co-rec, they meet me in Zoom once a week, but the the college level end of that is completely asynchronous. So. Um, and then I have another college level comp that's completely asynchronous. But the um, I think the beauty of that co-rec being in Zoom is that we get to have that conversation. But then there's this lecture, these short lectures that have been recorded in the other class that they can continue to watch. Nice. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's like a double whammy mm-hmm. for them. Mm-hmm. And they don't get that when they're face to face. Now, I don't think that div- I'm going to. Like my caveat is I don't think developmental ed should be 100% online. Like I just, I don't agree with it, but that's how I'm making it work. Um, But yeah, I'm just, I'm completely asynchronous except for the developmental. Mm -hmm. But it does, for me, it allows me to really focus. I can, when I don't have to be somewhere where I'm surrounded by people, I do Mm -hmm. better. Mm -hmm. My work is more quality Um, because if someone is around me, (laughs) You can put me anywhere in the classroom and I'm still going to talk, teacher. <laughs> I am a problem. <laughs> well, and I, th- I think that speaks to personality styles because, you know, during the great calamity, I was worried about my extroverted people, including people like you. And I'm an ambivert. You can put me in a classroom and I'm good and I love, you know, the energy you get from that. But then I recharge by being alone. Yes. And extroverts recharge by, right? And I think I'm around people. And I think I'm pretty ambiverted also. I mean, I, I need to be alone. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of folks that are friends of mine that are like, I don't, I don't, you're lying. (laughs) And I'm like, no, no, no. Ask my husband. I can easily be a hobbit, Mm -hmm. like truly can be a hobbit. (laughs) And, but then there's parts, if I'm in a room with people, I can't be quiet. What are you crazy? (laughs) But it changed it. It, it let me tap into parts of myself that I wouldn't have tapped into and understood that that was a strength. Right. Had I not have had that opportunity during the great calamity. <laughs> <laughs> well, so at the beginning, um, Bev, you had said that this going online has helped you, uh, professionally. And then also, I think you said personally with some stuff. Um, what did you mean by, by that? I, I think it really helped me learn balance because I'm sort of a 150 mile per hour person, some people would call me a little bit of an overachiever, even though I'm not going for my doctorate like some people. Finally decided on that one. Um, but I, I think there has to be a balance, and it made me realize our students need a balance too because they have very full lives. They you know, have issues and some issues that I don't, I don't have. Um, it, it really helped me to kind of take a step back. Like what's, what's good for me, for my physical and mental health? Because I found that, I was doing more as a therapist and a counselor half the time mm-hmm. than I was as a, a teacher. And at first I was like, so affronted, like I'm, that's not my job, you know, kind of a thing. Not that snotty, but you know, where I'm, yep. and oh, for I sure. just, I went, all right, let me, let me kind of embrace this and see what I can get out of it. Because I think anytime that we have something that's uncomfortable, whether we put it upon ourselves or some big thing has happened, we do have to learn from it. 
I know people who were miserable the entire time. And I really felt like I grew. I grew out of it. And I, I'm not saying I'm grateful for, you know, a virus to shut down the world. And I would like it to not happen again anytime soon. But it does give you opportunity to pause and, you know, again, take that step back. So one of the things you said earlier was that it, it really helped you to, to think about clarifying when you're in that teaching space mm-hmm. online. Mm-hmm. So then also you've learned to have balance yeah. as a teacher and think about those students, right, on the other side of it. Right. What else? What else was a takeaway for you? You know, and let me give you a couple of examples from this, too, is that, you know, we've all had students in tears, and it's really awful when you're on Zoom and you can't ha- hand them a tissue, right? Because I remember the good old days where I'd say, right, come on in my office, let's talk. And you'd hand them the tissue and they'd let it out and you'd figure it out. Um, I, I don't know. I just, I, I, I had, a, it, it, being online gives me an uh, opportunity to kind of take my time and think it through. So when I discovered a plagiarizer, for example, it would be really easy to just go to, well, she did it on purpose. I had a very wonderful conversation with a student um, and we figured it out. And she didn't know and she hadn't learned about it. And, and we, we made it work and talk about a teaching moment, you know, or when I had the student drop the F-bomb at me in an email this fall, if he had done that to my face, I'm, I'm not sure how I would have reacted, but I was able to take some time, think about how I was going to respond and model appropriate behavior in email and, and kind of tie that back into professionalism and relationships and things like that. So it's made me more patient. And less, I don't, I don't, yeah, and I don't consider myself to be judgy, but you know, there's always that opportunity you have. Is this, is this a choice or is this something that happened to them? You, and you have to figure, you have to take the time to figure that out instead of just assuming they're not trying or assuming they don't care. There's a lot of other stuff, you know, going on there. So I'm a, a little bit quicker to, um, sympathize with them and reach reach out Mm -hmm. there's also that that boundary where you you know I love students but I can't let them suck my soul out either because (laughs) you know I do I tend to be empathetic and we we do we do care but when you have 130 people who need you and you're it's it's just exhausting it it depletes you as a as an individual were you more exhausted teaching in person than you are online now no, I, I mean, I think I had the epic levels of exhaustion during, during COVID. Absolutely. And I feel recharged. Definitely. I feel like I've got more of what I need to handle student issues and, and starfish. That's been, I think that's a beautiful tool if used correctly. I've kind of mess it up a few times and sent out a bazillion alerts and the counselor, I feel like I have to apologize to them or the advisors rather. It's like, I'm so sorry that I sent out 415. Cause I think, I think that's, you know, it's just, cause it just creates a lot of work for them. I know, I know I get a lot of pushback on this, but I will stand by the fact that I give my students because I don't, I still don't even know how to get into my email post COVID or my voicemail post COVID in my phone in my office. The light is always blinking and I don't know. Anyways, I have given them a Google number so they can Google text me, you know, and I tell them, you know, 
day one of class, I always say, you always and forever have an audience. Always and forever consider your audience, Mm -hmm. whether you're texting, whether you're, you know, emailing. And I have had, I had a situation this fall where a student just so unlike him did not end in the final. Mm. Just, and it was, I keep thinking because I had the time to step back, right? It was completely asynchronous class and this was just out of character. And I thought, you know what the problem is, is the final writing project was called the final revision. This was called the final reflection. Oh gosh. Yeah. You see confused. Yeah. He, yeah. And he handed in the final revision and the final reflection. And I emailed him and sure enough, you know, he wasn't responding to the email because it was the school email. So finally I went all through Starfish and I found his phone number and I texted him through my Google phone and I was like, buddy. And he, I mean, instantly one second yes. and was like, yes. <gasps> Yes. Oh my gosh, Mrs. Cruz. And I was like, yeah. listen, it's okay. Yeah. You know, the world is not ending. He's like, I thought I did it. I, I totally know what you mean. But it's that ability to connect in so many different ways. And right. I, Starfish has allowed me to stay connected with students. And I tell them, I will, and I make it a verb, I will starfish you. <laughs> you know, but it's not out of anger mm-hmm. or frustration, it is out of a way. To build that level of support and sort of wrap around. Right. The more people that know, especially when you're online, Mm because you can feel alone. Right. You know, the more people that know and are involved, the more Mm -hmm. people you're going to be like, oh, they care. Mm -hmm. You know, because. And I think that that speaks to, I mean, I love technology, not as much as Wade does, but uh, I consider myself to be fairly proficient with the abilities and the skills that, that I have. And. I have announcements and I have them pre-scheduled, but they're, they're very, I wouldn't say they're, they're personal, right? Good job on, it's like that support sandwich, Mm -hmm. good job Mm -hmm. on that discussion. And then I might add something and these are some trends that I'm seeing. So you might all want to consider improving those for the next discussion. And then they get their individual feedback as well. And sometimes as we know, it's hard to do that support sandwich. The you're doing this well, you're, these are things I want you to work on you know, keep up the good work kind of thing. That can be really challenging, but I think it's also really important, right, to let them know I am watching, I do care. That's one thing I love about D2L is like you can creep on them and you know exactly how long they've spent on it. If they didn't do well on a speech, well then maybe, buddy, you should have read the directions that have been available to you in week one and not wait till 10 minutes before it was due on Sunday night. You know, that kind of thing. And And having that kind of it's kind of micromanaging. I realize that oversight with them help. I need them to know I can see everything that you're doing. I need you to know how long you spent looking at that video um, or that you didn't watch this one. And I think that would help you do better on the quizzes or whatever. So I, but you're in D2L with them, Bev. And oh, I think absolutely. That's something to really listen to, to really focus on because I don't think it's, I don't think it's, um, specialized for just Ridgewater, right? Like, I think it's it's universal that there are people that believe when you put it online, you can check out. Oh, my gosh. I think it's so much more work. Like, it, it's all the work on the front end because I want everything to be perfect on day one. I don't want any confusion. And then I'm obsessively monitoring it. You know, I don't do that with a face-to-face class. They're there for 50 minutes. 
see you Wednesday, right? Um, but this for me really suits me because I love getting into the weeds. I love all the details. And when they, you know, for instance, if I have a student who's not doing well on quizzes, it's like, well, hon, I gave you 20 minutes and you're only using six. So stop flying through them. Right. You know, and I, it just, it helps me. Yep. Kind of go, and they're like, "Oh, bust it! All right, she's trying to help me. I <laughs> she guess she can see this." Stuff. But I think yeah. that so you weren't you Wade, you weren't sitting here right away um, when Bev handed me this 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 plethora of papers, and one of the things you handed me was your agenda <laughs> that mm-hmm. they get on day one, mm-hmm. and I I had said to you, "Oh, so this is like a tentative agenda." I do one of these too, and you said, "Solid, doesn't move." <laughs> No, and I tell you why, because I do this for the type A's like me, because I'm a planner, and I want to know from week one to week 16 exactly what I'm doing, because I'm busy, I have a life, right? And for the other students who are not, they can still function within that. And then I say in there, if I need to move anything, it will never be to your disadvantage. I will move it further out, right? Right. And this particular class, that one I handed to you, that's... I've been doing that one for a while. It's pretty set. It's pretty set. You know, I, I change some things on it once in a while, but it's, it's, it's working really well for me. Or I'll delete something. I'll say, nope, um, we're not doing that assignment. And we know, we know when COVID hit, we, had, we lost two weeks, I think, where we couldn't teach. Oh, I think it was we, three weeks. So I, I chopped. I gutted. Uh, but you if you come up with a new idea, you'll never you'll never throw it on the students last minute. It'll be a, never. Next, a next year project exactly. that you put into it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's so important because then that allows you mm-hmm. to think it through. Right. You know, because I can teach on the fly in a classroom. Yes. But I cannot teach on the fly in asynchronous. It doesn't Correct. work the it same doesn't. way. It doesn't. And it doesn't translate for students. I think for them, yeah. it feels very messy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm a student that when I've taken online classes, I can't stop attending to them. Um, so I get very anxious. And so when I don't, and so I have a tentative agenda, but it really is pretty solid. But along those lines, in the tentative agenda, it says, you know, this really is to let you know what the semester is going to look mm-hmm. like. Mm-hmm. Um, the weekly guides will flesh it out further, but I will never add something right. at the last minute and, I mean, this is these are the big assignments, and these are when they're going right, to be. Right. But if we need to slow down, I'm going to slow us down. So yeah. one thing that I've heard that has helped some students um, get over that feeling of I can't get out of my online class, I don't know if if I've done everything. Is some people are using checklists, and then they can check it off, and then once they get those seven items checked off for the week or whatever it is, they can breathe, put it behind them, and know that. I've accomplished what I was supposed to instead of always being in there saying, did I miss a reading? Did I miss, did I miss a test that was connected to a third party app or something on there? Um, so yes, you're not the only one that has that feeling. I've heard that from students is they want peace of mind when they've put in the work and they've done the effort. They want to know how could, when can I move on to my next class, my next project, my next. I have to be able to put this it, to bed. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Scrape it off your plate. Absolutely. I, for me, I do a little visual. This is what it looks like when you've done something. This is what it looks like when you haven't. So, you know, the check. And I used to use that checklist feature, but I found that that read, watch, do 
it does the, it does the same thing. If I create the the sub module, it still gives you the check and the dot without having to go into an actual checklist. So you on each week mm-hmm. have this is what you need to read, this is what you need to watch, and this is what you need to do. Yes. And your students like that. Yes. I just and want so to the- say that again out loud. <laughs> because I think the more we can help other instructors mm-hmm. with these tips, mm-hmm the more confident they become and the better their classes run. Yeah. You know? Well, and then you're you're dealing with teaching instead of just putting out fires all the time. Like, I don't know where that is. And, you know, again, circling back to the experiences that we've had as students, uh, you know, I, I just remember thinking, I am never doing that to a student. Oh, for sure. Oh, I'm so stealing that. You know, it, go, <laughs> it goes both ways. I think a lot of times going online for me has put, I put all the work, not all the work, I put more work into the back end of it instead of putting out fires when we were in person. That was exhausting. And I was never very well prepared going into those. I thought I was. But now after teaching online, I realize, oh, my organizational skills are, they're on point now teaching online. Am I perfect? Oh, heck no. But is it way better than when I was in person and I had to kind of um, go with the flow depending on where we were? Going online was like a great equalizer for me. It really made me, and and going online, especially during like the great calamity, because I wasn't before. And when I shifted, my philosophy changed because I saw students in their worlds. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Right, right. And I realized the level of privilege I have. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also realized that I can't expect of them what I expect of myself mm-hmm. because I'm not the learner in the classroom. Mm-hmm. And so I, and I am a fire, you know, like I would spend all my time putting out fires. And so I really focused on how can I pare this down and how can we go deeper? Right. And how can I make sure that I'm addressing all those little questions? Mm-hmm. And then the fires don't happen. Right. And I think, too, that also speaks to I've gone from having very high stakes assignments. And that was the big change I made in my argument class is that I had an assignment that was an analysis and it was worth almost a third of their grade. And I think that is probably one of the dumbest things that I have ever done (laughs) in my life. So I can still use the same materials. But instead of having those bigger pieces, I do small bites. But. I also require certain assignments. So if you miss your narrative speech or your or your ceremonial speech, you cannot pass the class. And the reason I do that is because people fear public speaking more than death. So if you don't make them do the speeches, they won't it's like, do them. I don't care if it's the worst speech you've ever given. It's about progress, not perfection. And I just want to see progress between this speech and this speech. That's learning. And honestly, most of the speech grade is about can you follow directions? Can you follow directions? About half of it, it's not about you being a perfect public speaker or a perfect writer or whatever. It's about, is, can I see a difference between this one and this? We start out, start out day one. My very first introductory video says, this class is an elephant <laughs> and you can't eat it in right, one bite. Right, right. You know, yeah, that, absolutely. Those, those last two projects, the bigger writing projects, mm-hmm. You can't do them now. Yeah. You have to know these things in order to do that. So we're going to spend the first half of the semester right. learning these steps. Right. And we're going to apply them the second half of the semester. Yes. But you can't get here unless you do this first. Exactly. So we need to take small bites of the elephant. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, Bev, I think you're a pretty passionate person, probably about a lot of different things. Why... Um, 
why teach? Right. I have some notes on that. You say, you know, you're like a professional student. When I graduated, so when I, the first time I went to college, I was very immature and I dropped out because I liked a lot of things better than I like going to the classroom. <laughs> I don't know anybody else like that. It's like the, the commercials with the mayhem guides. So just avoid <laughs> this person. And then when I went back to school, I just was so curious and I was, oh my gosh, I couldn't get enough. It's like I was just a, addicted to learning and the, the lifelong learning thing. I just really got it. And when I could turn that into a degree and then another degree and another degree and another degree, it's like, okay, I guess we'll stop now. But when I started, um, I thought all my students were going to be transfer students like me, that they were going to be university students. But the truth of it is I have about 50 to 75 percent of my students are technical students. And I feel like they have a different take on things. It's not about being a comm studies major. It's not about checking off that general and going to university. It's my program is more important than your class. And I've had a great story. It's a shift, There's isn't a, it? a guy who was a deputy. He's now a deputy. And he was in the uh, law enforcement program. And he was doing really well. And then he kind of messed up at the end and he got a D. And I crunched those numbers 17 times going, what happened here? How did I miss that? And I realized that he just... He just kind of messed up at the end. I ran into him. So here he's, you know, twice my height, and he's got his gun and his taser on, and he's standing there. And, and I was getting my car worked on, and he says, Bev, I just have to apologize to you. I needed to make sure that I was getting a C or better in my program and had to let yours go. And I said, well, at least you passed. Not beautifully, but you passed. That was a really big lesson for me that it's, you know, Students are very happy getting a C. Are, am I passing? Cool, because their their interests and their efforts are being s- spent elsewhere. And making it relevant, that's the one thing that especially technical students have taught me. It's like, I got to be able to use this. So I try to tie back, say, a narrative speech. When you're going for a job interview, you're telling a story about yourself. You're presenting yourself. When you're doing an elevator speech, which is a 30-second pitch on yourself, that's a job fair. That's a, you know, because we make our first impression in 15 seconds, and I want to help you make it right. So it's the relevancy piece to me, that's a huge shift for me. I've gone away from the theoretical, more highbrow, you know, talking about it to treating it like a studio class, like an art class we're going to do, and then we're going to give feedback to each other. We're, that's, it's, it's a whole different way of doing things than when I started. What are... Um if you don't mind sharing a couple of your projects that you think are just total top tier ones you love, you love to assign and you love to look through, or you love to listen if it's a speech or what mm-hmm. is it? What are some of your favorites? I speeches is, is at the top of my list. And so uh, this semester I have a lot of speeches. I have three sections of the same class, which is the intro class. And um, so I'm grading, you know, 70 speeches in a week. And I love it. I like the narrative speech. I learn about my students because they're just telling a story about themselves, about some cool experience they had or some dramatic moment in their life. And then, um, so yeah, any of the speeches, they're challenging to grade 
but I but I do love them. Um, in my argument class, I have a debate analysis where they watch debates from the Oxford Union. I saw that, in and here. they do great topics like totally relevant to college students, safe space, no platforming, which is essentially, are you going to give someone a platform to speak on campus or not? So it's just this trove of stuff. And I'll have them decide who is the best speaker, right? And they have to apply terms and concepts that we're talking about um, and, you know, use a model that's provided for them. And um, then they discuss it. Who was the best? Oh, you thought they were the best? I thought these guys were the best. And then when they're all done, I tell them which team actually won the debate. Right. So it's, it's cool, and it expo- I don't really get much pushback on that. That's the, actually the one that I simplified because that was the monster assignment that just needed to be toned down just a little bit and doing it in smaller bites, right? So I added, basically cut that assignment in half, turn it into two smaller assignments that help kind of build on each other. And gave them time, Mm -hmm. right? It Mm -hmm. gave them time to sit in it and play in it. Yeah, yeah. I never, I didn't realize until I was teaching online how much time I did not give my students Mm -hmm. because it took so much time for me online. Right. So I, I mean... Yeah. I have a friend who teaches at St. Cloud State, and she said she loves numbers. Bev, I sat down and calculated all the things that I have to do in between teaching and my campus responsibilities. And does, I have five minutes for each student each semester. <laughs> I went, oh, my. Oh, oh, my. I think I'm going to try to do a little bit better than that. So um, I think, too, the teaching gig is such an amazing like, wow, I can't believe I get to do this for a living. And, you know, we all have frustrating days where you're trying to track students down and figure out why they didn't turn something in, like you said, Mary. But I got a second chance. And that's what I want to be part of, too. You know, I, they're all trying to do something better. You don't torture yourself by going to school just I just got some extra cash sitting around in time and <laughs> I like writing papers and taking exams. So, you know, they're trying to make their lives better. And that's exactly what I was doing. You know, I got burned out on my last career and I had no degree. I had no degree. So you can imagine the doors that were shut in my face without that piece of paper. So I, I, I get them. They might not know that I get them. But then, then trying to make it more accessible with the open education resources, the free textbooks. I'm now completely textbook free. Wow, that's great. Free, free, free. Yeah. That's so awesome. It's so awesome. It's, you know, it's a time commitment. It's a financial commitment. And I think whatever we can do to relieve that. I think it's so profound what you just said is that they're all here to better themselves. Mm-hmm. And in my head, I finished that with why would I stand in their way? Yeah. Why would I be a gatekeeper? Right. Why wouldn't I be sort of the gate opener? Yeah, this is the greatest show on earth. Come join me. Right. Like, let's play here. Yeah. And we don't want them to have negative experiences because if they do, they're just going to say, I'm out of here. And in the current climate that we're in, everyone's hiring and they're offering bonuses and and that type of thing. So it's very competitive right now, just in terms of um, getting them in the door, so to speak. Everyone's having that problem. But for sure. Yeah. So. We are almost to the end of our time with you, Bev. Mm-hmm. But before we let you go, do you have any closing words that you wanted to share I, with I, us? I do have a couple, actually. And this is one of my favorite sayings. 
and don't ask me where I got it. Well, Tom Weiborg, who I took over oh, for, okay, man. he said, they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Oh, sure. And oh, I know he, sure. he stole that from someone, but here's another one I found he I love. He stole a lot of sayings I, from people. I know. <laughs> Tell me and I forget. Show me and I remember. Involve me and I learn. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, that's a very powerful if I could condense my teaching philosophy into one thing, it would be that. So here are my final, final words. Because I am a fan of diners, drive-ins, and dives. <laughs> Guy Fieri. Join Wade and Mary for their next episode of Triple R Podcast. <gasps> wow. I don't have words. <laughs> I feel so professional now. And you, that's how You we, were in the radio industry, that's how, weren't you? That's how we end it. And that's how, this is, I mean, Bev, we're going to use you at the beginning of every podcast now. Like, join Wade and Mary. I can't even make it sound that good. Bev, thank you Absolutely. so much oh, for this coming was a pleasure. I love hanging out with you guys and talking well, teachy we'll stuff. You, we'll have you back again. Sure. Good. Awesome. Yeah, this is great. You guys are doing a wonderful job with these podcasts. Seriously. Thank you. Awesome. Thank, thank you so you, much. Bev.